Zoom Hello. has officially let us know that this recording is in progress. Therefore, this is the return of the Galliant. The only, gosh, I shouldn't have listened to that podcast on Sir Arthur, King Arthur, <laughs> before, King Arthur. before I came to this. Oh, the Valiant uh, podcast, Rabbit Trails, has returned after a brief hiatus. If, yeah. if your life is long, it's brief. If your life is short, it's it's it was rather long. Yeah, but it was Times we, we were we were busy. I mean, it was uh, just a busy time for it was everyone. A busy time. It was busy time. It, it still busy is time busy, but but yeah. you, you and I have kind of gotten back into podcasting. You know, I, I mainly my children have just been sick, so we've yeah. had like this slew, this uh, yeah, arrows yeah. of misfortune that just keep continually attacking us. So. My daughter, every time she, I think she gets over it, she gets a new infection. So um, oh, I'm getting tired of calling doctors and going to doctors. It's just been, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Happy Sorry. for some warmer weather. That's all right. Yeah, you guys are, it's a little bit, I haven't, yeah. We haven't been as sick down here, but it's warmer generally down here yeah. in Southern Spain. So FMO hasn't been it, bad. But we had, a, we had a student conference. We had that, that was Good. something that was. A lot of traveling. There was Samana Santa. Which hey, you know, coolest, coolest thing coming out of that student conference was there was a student. Uh, I don't know if any of our students listen to this, so I want to be careful. But one student in particular who uh, from a different country of Catholic background uh, said after the student after the student conference, um, I now understand what my faith is for. I thought That's that was awesome. pretty, I thought yeah, that, that was is a good. pretty cool moment. Yeah. That is good. So, yeah, there was a lot of good, good moments. Felix Ortiz. Felix Ortiz, someone we should try to have on. That'd be an interesting point. car. Yeah. 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 And the, knows a little bit about he knows a little bit about a lot of it. <laughs> stuff. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He of course is I mean, he's actually, well, his Spanish is inspirational. Uh he's yeah, but he also in English can he can hack it. Yeah. Yeah. He speaks he speaks spent English. time with the Baptists in Texas. He speaks good to English. Um, I don't speak English good anymore. I don't no. speak it well either. Um, you have like three languages. Going I was on trying there. to. I was trying to do a. Uh, yeah, I was out at uh, La Fuente de Peregrino the other day, uh, our albergue for for pilgrims here, and uh, I was doing a briefing for this team, and uh, I kept saying things like, "I feel myself." sad because yeah. <laughs> the way you would say it in in spanish yeah well in, in swedish as well oh really so you it's yeah, a reflexive yeah, 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 kind of yeah yeah, yeah it's a reflect yeah because we don't do the reflexive we don't it sounds in, bad in in so anyway so boy are the folks glad they tuned in after such a long hiatus <laughs> to hear about yeah. the ins and outs of yeah. reflexive verbs people it yeah. doesn't get any better uh so I'm, we've had so long have it <laughs> it's just downhill from here tune into the rabbit tunes podcast yeah, that's right we uh, got for better we got for better banter better better banter yeah so actually for anyone who who is interested uh whether or not you've seen it on our feed or not we are also endeavoring from time to time to do something called the rabbit tunes with a friend of our danny piangerelli and uh just to talk about music and maybe some art mostly songs though uh yeah and the meaning of them the deeper meaning uh, kind of the poetry and theology and art and culture. So yeah. uh, tune in for that. It was a pretty good, pretty fun discussion that we just decided to, we were meeting to talk, are we going to do this or not? We just decided to press play. And it was a great, great episode. So you people should listen because I know you have nothing better to do with your life. Yeah. Especially if you're into music. Yeah. And if you want to learn about music, also yeah. a good idea. Yeah. Uh, something that well, keeps coming up, Garrick. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, actually, let's start here. Yeah. Uh, Terrence Malick, who I mm-hmm. referred to. I have this brain tick that I keep calling him Terrence Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> um, I think I did that in a couple of texts to you the other day. No, but uh, I understood. Don't worry. Yeah, I figured it was no, just no, like. No, no, but I was. I figured it was like else. auto. Well, you know, my 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 mom was texting me the other day, and she I don't think she understands autocorrect very well. Yeah. Because she was trying to tell me about our former pastor, whose last name is Ashlock, and it kept auto converting to Adblock, <laughs> and she kept she kept writing just Ashlock, but it kept converting. So she sent me like. <laughs> Four texts that said ad block, ad block, ad block. And she's like, I, I don't know what the word this. So, so it, it, you know, if you start t- typing in Malcolm a bunch, it's going to pop up uh, as Malcolm anytime you start that. So, you know, yeah. just, just go with that. No, I just, I just forgot his name. Anyway, I finished. So, had to take a trip uh, for a conference that I was going to and uh, watched uh, over the course of a couple of plane flights because it's a long movie. It's I a long watched movie. It, a hit, finally finished A Hidden Life. Mm-hmm. And for any of you who have never seen A Hidden Life, it's streaming uh, right now on Disney. So go out and do it. Uh, I will say Terrence Malick's films are not like anything you've ever really experienced before. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. does a lot with very little. Or yeah. does very little with a lot. I told someone, I told, no, he does a lot with very little. I told someone that there was actually probably more dialogue in a TikTok video than the entire two and a half hour movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, but although like spoken, spoken dot, because there's a lot of right. back, there's yeah. a, lot, a lot of uh, thought. It's a lot of stream of consciousness and prayers, actually. Yeah. A lot of, yeah, and yeah. sometimes there's people talking, you're like, who is that? And may, maybe that's God talking. I don't, you know, who, who is speaking in that moment, in those moments? Um, there's, but the, it, I, I would say it's very impressionistic or expressionistic, right? It's not a, it's, he gets a lot out of images and music and very concise words and yeah. wording. And you really have to pay attention, but sometimes you can get hit with some very, I was talking to Peyton Smith the other day and he was telling me the, uh, the, the experience of watching tree of life was so, it was just emotionally kind of powerful because it brought up all these kind of memories and feelings hmm. um, of his childhood. And, you know, so I think he's going for those, he's going more to draw these feelings out of you. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's certainly the case with the hidden life. Cause you, you feel a lot of things, uh, mm-hmm. even w- if you're watching the wind. He uses wind in that, yeah. Uh, which is interesting because of the, the the idea of the Holy Spirit as a wind, right? And yeah. so, yeah. so so much of that film, I was thinking, what is the Holy Spirit like? Mm-hmm. It would show the guy kind of looking, the main character looking back uh while the wind was blowing and you're kind of like is he wondering is the holy spirit speaking because you could tell he was pensive he was thinking yeah. so what is the holy spirit saying to him um so the premise of the film is it okay if we give give away a little bit here yeah yeah because it's based on true story as well yeah so the, the 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 premise of the film is is that this uh what was the main character's name i'm totally yeah he's he's i think been made a saint yeah um, anyway he uh I'll, I'll look it up as you. His name uh, at the moment, I forget. It's a hidden life anyway, so we weren't really supposed to know it. Uh, but in the in the beautiful villages of Austria in the mountains, there is a, a man who has three children, a wife. Franz Jägerstatter. Franz Jägerstatter. Yeah. You can look him up. He's got yeah. a real life. And I think and, his wife was alive until recently, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. 
Well, so anyway, so he was called up during World War II to fight for the Nazis, and he refused to take the oath of allegiance to Hitler on on religious grounds, on on grounds that that he didn't think that he didn't agree with what Hitler was doing, and also didn't think that he should take an oath, but anyone but to God. And then, of course, it is kind of the struggle of he knowing he was going to be called up, and the struggle of deciding to make this call, and then all throughout the movie people then trying to convince him to recant and for the sake of his family, for the sake of, because his family's going through, you know, and it's not just that he wouldn't take this oath, but rather that he saw his family also suffered. Um, they were ostracized uh, in a small community, which is hard for me in a, as a big city dweller to imagine like, what's mm -hmm. the big deal. You can still get your things, but this is like a community of like, you know, a hundred people. It's yeah. not many. And so, they felt the loneliness and um you know because everyone else was fighting for the fatherland and um right germans called it fatherland russia's motherland so. is that correct yeah i believe that's true so anyway so uh man it was a it was a gut-wrenching movie to watch because the whole time even as a christian on theological grounds i can understand why you would say that as a observer of world war ii I kept thinking to myself, man, only if only more people had been as brave as this guy. Yeah. And then, but the the rest of the time, you're kind of rooting for him just to go, well, God will forgive him, right? Like yeah. his poor family. I mean, I'm a father of uh, children. I have a wife. I can't imagine what it was like for them. So all of those things are mixed up. Yeah. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, he does that. That is a very long, pretty strong theme in the movie, if I remember correctly, because he's kind of given some outs oh, several yeah. times and, and they're not times. and they're kind of you know they're, they're kind of nice compromises you know mm -hmm. and so i think and but there's a scene when he's in prison where there's a one of the inmates with him is quoting scripture but what maybe not quoting scripture directly but he's quoting what satan would say right it's almost like he's being tempted in the same way that yeah. um jesus was like you can have you know this just just a little just just a little compromise yep and it'll be all right you can go back yep. you know and so there's this so so uh it's very interesting how he's playing around with that idea. Yeah, I mean too. the slick the slick lawyer city lawyer comes in yeah. and is like, look, do you really think that that you're yeah. making a difference? Yeah that yeah. that once you die, because that was what was up for it was yeah. execution. Do you think that by in by in doing this that you're making any kind of difference? You're only causing more suffering in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, take the oath and you can you can go and work in a medical hospital and you can save lives. And so you really yeah. get that that bargain that that we in all situations as believers in our lives have to face, right? Are we going to yeah. choose to not compromise or compromise or? And look, I I know that there were strong Christians who did take the oath to Hitler, and I'm I'm not God. I'm going to let God sort all yeah. that out. So that's not that's not at all what I'm commenting on. I I just think his life was amazing, and there are a couple of scenes in that movie too two scenes well there are more but two that are standing out at the moment so the first one uh well let me go to the second one first and then we'll go back to the first one okay are, I'm, I'm thinking in chronological order so one of the most profound scenes was when the lawyer says sign it and you can go free yeah and he says you assume that i'm not already free yeah and he yeah. was in jail and just that how profound that yeah. idea was uh was was fascinating yeah yeah. The other, but the other, uh, and then this goes into maybe a little bit of a, a rabbit trail that we're going to go down today. I hope. Um, if not, it's just going to be a short podcast, and that's fine. 
you know, if you're like, no, nah, I don't want to talk about that. We're done. I got, I got nothing. Uh, okay. So, so he's standing there. He has his friend who is the church fresco painter. Yeah. Um, who is restoring or doing new frescoes. And he's having this conversation with him about Jesus, about life and with very little dialogue, but it's profound. And he's sitting there and doing one of Jesus and he, and I'm going to butcher the line. Um, you might look at be able to look it up while, while um, I'm talking, but yeah. he says, he says, uh, I paint the Jesus that they want me to paint the mm -hmm. Jesus as they see them. Someday I hope to be courageous enough to paint the real Jesus as he is, but I'm not, I'm not courageous enough yet. And so you have this, you have a, you have a lot going on in just that one statement. Mm -hmm. One is the foreshadowing of Franz following the Jesus that is not the Jesus as we want him to be. So as he understands him and believes him and is truly a courageous character, because how many Christians, if they had put as much time and energy into this understanding could have decided that Hitler and what he was doing was wrong. So that's one thing. But the second thing is, is the, the idea of how we impose our ideas of who Jesus is onto mm -hmm. the church or onto our theological understandings uh, and how easy that is within a culture to do. And every culture does it. So the United States of America does it. Spain does it. Every culture is going we impose our cultural ideas of who who Jesus is uh, onto the real Jesus and do we understand the real Jesus? Um, I thought was just such a profound moment in that movie. Yeah. It's almost a haunting phrase. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the, the, I think the actual quote is I paint their comfortable Christ with a, with a halo over his head. We love him. That's enough. Someday I'll paint a true Christ. Yeah. Is, is uh, their comfortable Christ. Yeah. Which is, um, which yeah, I think is it, what you're getting at. There is the the who who is the I mean who is the the, the Christ we really follow. Um, mm -hmm. and, yeah, there's a tension. There's a tension there. Yeah, and and then and then the comfortable Christ that we like. So this brings yeah. up the question of has Europe ever really been Christian? Yeah. So I don't mean it in the sense of religious, obviously, religiously speaking. So this goes back, we're going to hail back to what you and I have recently said. We both need to reread his book, but um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Stefan Pass. Uh, Stefan Pass. Or, or uh, church planning and secular postmodern cultures. Um, the idea that maybe Europe wasn't ever really fully Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, and to that end, maybe maybe a lot of places aren't actually Christian. That maybe the, the idea that I'm toying around with at the moment is maybe when we reach a certain mass of people, a critical mass of people who would call themselves Christian, maybe we actually begin to just live culture and not really faith. Not saying that one is not to be preferred over the other. Maybe it's preferable to be just a Christian culture over and above, let's say, a pagan culture. Like I was listening mm -hmm, to a mm -hmm, podcast mm -hmm. on Pompeii the other day mm -hmm. and all the erotic art that it was the podcast briefly mentioned the erotic art, but just the reality that that 
it was such a part of their life. You can't imagine that certain sexual abuses did not happen at will. Yeah. Yeah. People were owned and everything else. So, so I'm not saying that being a non-Christian culture is, is preferable over being a Christian. Yeah. Culture. I think I'd prefer the, the latter to the former, but what, what you're saying was you're is, ever really Christian. Yeah. And, and I think, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll unpack it a little bit. Um, is, you know, when, when, Europe became under the Roman Empire, uh, and I think this is something we're seeing in the states in in in, in the in the well in the New World, so to speak. But when it became you know uh, officially Christian, everyone just became Christian. You had a problem, right? You had nom- the rise of nominalism before following Jesus was going to cost you something, you know, generally. And so it made it a lot easier. So one hand, it made it a lot easier to evangelize, right? Because now everyone's a little bit more primed towards it, but it's a lot harder to control who's really following Jesus. So there's, I think there's some good things about that, but there's also some challenges. And I think what we, what we see in Europe early on is the rise of the, the monastery, right? People going, I really want to follow Jesus, but these guys at, at my church now, uh, they're not really following Jesus. So let's go out in the desert and pray and be radical um, you know, so different mon- monastic movements come out of that frustration. I also it also re- reminded me uh, of the more the recent U two album. Sorry, sorry to veer this to U two, but I think Bono's onto something. And I'm not against religion, so I want to I want to preface it. I think religion is something we need, but religion very quickly becomes archaic, stratified, it becomes institutionalized, right? And that's what happened in Europe, right? So that doesn't mean there weren't a lot of great people working in those institutions and loving God and, and, and making big differences. Francis Assisi, for instance. I mean, there was great things. So we're, we're not, I don't want to discard all of European history and say, well, you have pre uh, just uh, Constantine and then everything's just nominal. Well, no, that's not, that's not, let's not do that. But I think there's a, there's a real tension there when, when Christianity becomes the dominating worldview or the dominating structure and you, it, you two have their new albums out. Four new albums. They're all new. All their songs that they not all their songs. Some of their songs that they decided to reinterpret, and some of the lyrics have been reinterpreted. So, Sunday Bloody Sunday originally has an end lyric which says, uh, "Now the battle just begun to claim the victory Jesus won um, on Sunday Bloody Sunday," and they changed that to um, something like "Religion is the enemy." It goes uh, to claim the victory Jesus won. Religion is the enemy of Holy Spirit guide. So he, so, so there, so I think what, what you and I in, in our world too is also the difference between movements and institutions, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something that's, that is uncontrolled following the Holy Spirit. Not that the Holy Spirit, once again, can't move in institutions, but I think that is maybe what's going on also in this, in this movie as well. This saying the, the church institution has kind of tapped down the real Jesus, you know, the mm-hmm. Jesus we need to, which calls, which, and, and which would clearly be not, you know, is obvious across the board of you have a Austria and Germany, which are now rounding up Jewish people, people and throwing them into concentration camps, started wars on, you know, just obviously just about as anti-Christ as you can get, you know? Right. And so I think your question is what, what, if people had really been following Jesus, would that have happened? You know, if people are really following Jesus in the U S if we can get a little cheeky, in the mass numbers that we think we are, would we have all these problems that we have right now? Yeah. Or would certain political positions be even be, even be tenable 
Yeah, but I think I think yeah. So so I think it somehow in the culture when I think I do think when we when we are able to reach a critical mass. What's I'm this is where it gets weird because I don't want to theologically say that someone was not a Christian, right? So like yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. I'm Jesus. Jesus is going to play that that role. He knows God knows all of of history and who is His and who is not. So, mm-hmm. not for me to play a role. But yeah. what I would say is, um, well, here's what I would say, and maybe these are qualitatively different. But when you get it, when I start talking about who is a Christian, who's not a Christian, that get, that people tend to get feisty over that. So yeah. Let me take it away from that for a moment to put yeah. it, put in some well, of my my experience in Islam. Yeah. Well, I think we should also be careful to say what is saved versus not saved. Right. Being saved right. does not necessarily mean, mean you're going to walk uh, closely right. with Jesus and do good, all the right things. Good point. Good distinction. Yeah. So, so possibly you could be saved, but not really be a Christian. Perhaps you could even be a Christian in one sense of of being in a church and good standing, a good member and not even be saved. So this, depending on how you're, you're saying, what is a Christian, you know, versus right. what is, uh, I think there's some challenges there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so if I throw maybe a little bit of Christian theology over Islam, which is hard to do. Uh, but you know, when I lived in central Asia, I had lots of Muslim friends who definitely considered themselves Muslim did not you know, believed certain things would exclude them from Christianity and certain things that would only include them in, in, into Islam. Mm -hmm. And they, they were the alcohol drinking, Muslim drinking or uh, pork eating Muslims of Central Asia. Right. And there's lots of that. Now I'm not, again, a Muslim would disagree with me that if a person's eating pork, obviously they're not quote unquote Muslim because it's, it's more about doing than belief, but, but there is a reality there that they even believe that if you say the you know, there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, then you're a Muslim uh, yeah. if you if, if you accede to that. Yeah. So anyway, so my point being, it would be easy for us to imagine, and I think it was what I experienced in Islam in countries where I was worshiping or was a missionary. You would talk to students who their Islam was more tied to their culture than mm-hmm. a firm belief. I'm not saying they weren't Muslims. They were Muslims. Yeah. But you could easily see that if the tide turned, they'd be kind of like, well, I'll go do that. Because that just yeah. seems a li- like you kind of wonder sometimes how Christians, some of Christians during the, the Muslim rule of Spain could have switched over and then even switched back during the yeah. Reconquista and everything else. And I actually find that very tenable. Yeah. Right. So yeah. it's like, like, let's say that a regime came to the United States tomorrow who just took over and said, it's illegal to be a Christian. I think there'd be a lot of people like, that's cool, whatever. Didn't really <laughs> yeah. mean that much to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think we often, we often, it's easy to think that because a culture has certain cultural practices. So, yeah. One might be one example would be here in Spain, we have Saint Days all over the place. If those suddenly disappeared, one from the outside would go, oh my gosh, Spain is becoming not Christian. And it's like, look, I know a lot, the vast majority of those people have no yeah. tie to a church or belief about Christ, but there is a certain cultural aspect yeah. Yeah. Uh, about it. Like, And I think that's what I mean. I, I think that's the way Europe, it, by and large, has always been. 
Yeah. Uh, maybe it's been yeah. more religious, but it, I don't know that it's necessarily been evangelical Christian, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's where this, this verse uh, was very, is very helpful, which I've already lost, you know, the comfortable Christ, right? Mm-hmm. I paint the one everyone likes. Um, and I, and I think that's what, cause what, cause also when we say the, the so a lot of these people who like you, 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 to use Spain as a reference point of, you know, people who still participate, you know, maybe once a year nominally, or, you know, even in the U S we have that, you know, the mm-hmm. Easter Christmas so that they would still believe in a Jesus, right. They'd be like, oh yeah, it's Jesus and he's resurrected. Yeah. Okay, cool. But, they, but, but they're using those words, in, you know, more on a cultural level. So they might believe something about that, but it hasn't really been something they've had to struggle with. It's just something they kind of add into their world, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of indicative of a lot of, of secularism, which probably like has been the case for a long time. You know, it, it you go with what is trendy or what works at the time, you know? And so those people definitely believe in God, um, and but but are they but they're not Christians per se yeah. you know they're not they're not uh, gonna be able to understand what the Apostles Creed is or they don't have a personal uh, prayer life walking with Jesus they don't attend church right they don't do all the kind of basic things that a Christian should do and some because it's not just believing it's but but you know it do also in certain behaviors or or certain beliefs it's not it's not put together they may do some of those things some of the time. So I think that's sometimes a tricky thing in Europe is there are still a lot of people who do some of those things some of the time, um, but don't, it's not coming together in a cohesive fashion. um, And that that can be hard. Well, Europe has never really appreciated people who really wanted to follow Christ. Right. Yeah. Uh, By and large measure. Right. Like a lot of the people who were really gung ho about it had to flee to America. Yeah, they right. Left. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, their their beliefs were definitely outside the quote unquote normative, yeah, acceptable values and beliefs of of Europe, and so they they left. They they went to the United States or the at the New World. Uh, a lot of them where they could express themselves, you know, religious freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So why why then? What is, what is the mistake then that those who are trying to do ministry, cross-cultural ministry, missionary work in Europe, mm-hmm. what is the mm-hmm. mistake that we make then when we come over it's a great question. to Europe with yeah. that idea that, so here's the idea that I think we come over with. The, mm-hmm. we, we come over with the idea, look at all of the comfortable Jesuses they have on their buildings. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get us back to where these churches are packed. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I, yeah. And so there was, a, I, I go back to a, there was a Swedish philosopher, historian, religious dude, um, who is atheist in right around the, I think it was the early 1920s, maybe it was the thirties. He said, why don't we just basically call a spade a spade? And recognize that none of us actually believe this stuff that we're practicing anymore. Mm-hmm. And then Sweden just kind of goes, yeah, you're right. We don't. And so they left the church in droves. Now, yeah. we would be tempted to think, oh my gosh, that guy deceived everyone. It's like, no, he just actually was the one to yeah. say it out loud and gave everyone yeah. the permission structure to do it. Yeah. So how do we, how does, how should one 
then approach Europe. Yeah. Well, and this goes back to, this is, I think, a quote from Stefan Poss, uh, frequently quoted on this podcast and a one-time visitor, a guest, sorry, not a visitor. You don't visit a podcast. You're a guest on the podcast. But I think, I think, I believe it's a quote of his where he says, you know, Europeans, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not him. It could be someone else. It could be Bosch. It could be, but th- this idea that Europeans one day woke up and realized they could leave the church and faith in God. And they were surprised that it, it didn't really affect them. Mm-hmm. It didn't, it didn't really affect them adversely. Um, so there was this kind of, you know, collective slide into that ap- apathyism, which I think is another, you know, kind of, it's, it's so, so I don't, it's not necessarily people are anti, right? Some no. people are, but the vast majority of people, it's just, it's just apathetic. It's like, well, that's, that's a nice thing. It's nice to have the church there. It's nice to have those things. There's nice history there. There's some good things. There's some bad things, but it's not, it's not important. Um, it's, it's not something that's really going to make a big difference in my life. You know, maybe, maybe I'll go, like, it's nice to get married in a church maybe, or it's maybe nice to go to uh, you know, a festival that's based around a religious thing. But I, I think, I think I, I really do think the big issue here, I think something you said earlier, which now I've forgotten, but you said something along the lines of uh, assuming, I, I, I think there's two poor assumptions that go different directions. One is assuming that if you're part of or from or connected to the big state churches, right? The old, what's been here a long time, that that's all bad. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, and so that, that's one, and that there's nothing good in there and that there are no believers there. Right. The other is assuming that that was all good. So I think it's, I, I really think people have mm-hmm. to come to this complexity. Right. And, and one thing that's helped me think about it is to think about the church in America. And so I'm from a fairly large denomination. Some people have heard of the Presbyterians. Right. And so if you can be a part of a, the Presbyterian world and you, you can be, extremely far left liberal right mm-hmm. you can be incredibly there's incredibly nominal people uh and then there's a ton of churches that are evangelical uh you know even some charismatic and so you, you so when i look at the big big churches i don't even now when i look at big evangelical or baptist churches i don't assume that everyone at that church is a professing christian or even if they are that they really understand what they're talking about or that they're just someone there who goes because their parents brought them for decades and now mm. they go. So I, th- I think we need to realize that nominalism, while it's kind of writ large in Europe and it's in maybe late stage nominalism because it's really kind of rapidly dying out to where people aren't wanting to be a part of the church um, is is part and parcel of the American church as well. I think I, I don't, I, I look at the church and I, I, I what I see there's great churches, there's great people doing great things, but I see a lot of churches that are clearly, uh, I'm not really sure what's going on here, you know, and there, there's need for renewal even in the United States. So I think that's, a, so I think there's a lesson there as well is we need, we need to all, you know, also have some humility in how we look at our own context and realize we're not exactly, you know, top of the pops either. Uh, no, but, which is how we tend to think of things. Right. Well, but I, I think that's, I think that's what I, so a couple of things there. Nominalism, how do you put it? It's kind of like I always ask myself, I always wonder, you know, there's a lot of atheists running around, self-proclaimed atheists. Were there atheists back in the day? 
you know, like in Bible times. And David obviously recognizes people who do have no belief in God. So yeah. It, yeah. maybe their concept of what atheism was, maybe he's, maybe David's really saying they don't believe in the one true God, but they, yeah. he says they who believe there is no God. Yeah. So, so they're, they're, they definitely existed, but were they of the same numbers? Well, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. So kind of what I think is nominalism, I think in many ways is maybe the norm rather than yeah. the abnormal abnormality. And mm-hmm. I think the danger that we get to as believers in any cultural situation that, that might have a tangential relationship to Christ is where we're bothered by nominalism to the extent that we, we think it's abnormal. I, yeah. Yeah. I actually think so. So the high water mark of American Christianity was the 1950s and 60s. Yeah. Um, and it's been kind of declining from there. I, I know it goes up and down and, you know, I'm sure Gallup has a better statistic on it than yeah. I do. But the point being is, look, in the early 1900s, like it was a pretty rough place. Not many people actually went to church. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because no but one was making them go to church. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so early, I, early, I mean, the, the, um, the church attendance during during um 1770s during the yeah the, was was really bad uh i mean actually what uh i i studied under guy edward edward countryman at smu who was kind of a uh one of the top um american revolutionary historians um and that was one thing that was really surprising for me because we always kind of conceive of america as this great and then there were the great awakenings right that came after the revolution and one later uh, were you know, kind of popular faith swept through, um, and I'll tie this back. I think a guy named Ross Dudhat also, but um, uh, but he, you know the teenage pregnancy was the the worst it's ever been is in the 1770s. Yeah, I mean it, it was it was in it was really bad. It was a problem, uh, you know. So so I think what a, a guy named Ross Dudhat who he was a uh, I think he grew up atheist, became a Pentecostal. I think now he's Catholic, but he writes for the New York Times, conservative writer. He wrote a book uh, where he talks about really the religion of America. And, and maybe this is what we're seeing in Europe even more so is, is moral therapeutic deism. So people believe there's a God, but it's more of a genie in the bottle kind of mm-hmm. this is this is what helps me be better. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that's part and partial of the church. I think that seeps in. But I think we see a lot of people. And this is probably why, to some degree, it's often easier to do evangelism in in America, where you have people who are believing in God or looking for something that's just kind of part of the culture. And if you can get them to kind of really get down into Jesus, it, it kind of awakens things. But um, so I think well, you know, American American religion has always been maybe that in some yeah, sense. Uh, and it's easier to convince anyone who is nominally something. Right? Yeah, yeah. So if you're yeah. nominally libertarian. Yeah, you're going to have a much easier time convincing that person that the pure libertarian ways are the best way to go. Um, yeah, versus versus like a hardcore progressive. Like, yeah, it's going to be so nominalism has so like. I would much rather have churches full of people, an opportunity to have messages and curriculum and relationships where people are in the church and they're mm-hmm. they're being sanctified in some sense by by those who are more serious by their yeah. faith yeah. 
I think I think where this plays for the missionary in Europe is stop thinking that that we are going to that all we need to do is clarify the gospel for people. Yeah. And soon all the churches will be full. It's not in their imaginary at the moment that could change. Yeah. But it's not in the imaginary of of the European to go, "Oh, Eureka, I need to be in church." Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. We've got a lot of explaining, we've got a lot of living, we've got a lot of clarifying, we've we've got a lot of things to do. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that in the sense of just let go of that that we're we're one step away from revival. Yeah. Um, yeah. Revival has not happened in a lot of countries yeah. for a lot of different reasons. It's happened yeah. in the English speaking world quite a bit and, and in some other places, but mostly those are places that are Christ haunted, not places that are Christ forsaken or rather that have forsaken Christ. And so I think that's where in Europe and for, for the large measure, we've, we've got some obviously work to do. But for me that I don't know for me that gave me hope when yeah. when I first started realizing that because I know I no longer felt like I was doing something wrong going out every day and doing what I was doing it helped yeah. me to say well I remain faithful and leave the results up to yeah. to God do you, do you think there's something we talk about you mentioned social imaginaries and that the social imaginary that we bring as evangelical Americans is this totalization of what we have is the best thing. Yeah. And so when we come into Europe, particularly it's played up against, and I've done this too. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily, um, but we, we, we come in and we go, well, look at the Catholic church. It's what's well, obviously failed. And it, you know, it, it's not, it didn't do the right things. And okay. That, that may be, but we tend that we tend to begin to set up these, this straw man, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe in Germany, it's the Lutherans, maybe in, I don't, you know, depending where you're at, it may be different people when, when the reality, it just, it's much more complex than that. And, um, you know, everyone's a little bit guilty of something here, but it doesn't mean that, yeah, that we, that, that should be our operating. I think our operating principle needs to be more what, 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 what Bono's saying is like religion. So if we're just coming back to, to replace one religious structure, with another religious structure, our religious structure, which we think is better, but we're, but, but what I think Bono would say, and what I'm trying to argue for here is no, no, no. The religion is the enemy of the Holy spirit. God, let's just let this thing run, go catch fire. Yeah. You know, and, and let's let it go. And that's not necessarily our job. As he says, our job is to be faithful, to pray, to do the right things, to persevere, but not to hold things so tightly. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, particularly I, if you're pa- pastoring or planning a church, it means, you know, I think it's a trickier issue, but yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're hoping, so here, here's one, one thought, if you're hoping for revival out of nominalism, then you don't make the decision to not take an oath to Hitler. Yeah. You, you make the decision. I can do more good if I just stay in, right. If, if I could mm-hmm. just convince everyone and he decided it's not my job to convince everyone. It's my job yeah. to follow Jesus. Yeah. And he did. And we all applaud him now. We all think, wow, what a, what a wonderful hit in life. And may he receive yeah. his, his reward and glory. Yet. Where were we when, when he did that? Yeah. You know, and obviously we weren't, you and I weren't there, but I, but I honestly, I, I watched that film and I was like, I don't, 
I don't think I could have made that decision and God is gracious. So I'm going to let God figure out that. But I think you get my point. The the point is, is his, his, his life didn't nominalism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, his life didn't accomplish anything in that sense, in the sense of, uh, how great our lives have accomplished, you know, but, 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 you know, um, so he, let's, he did let's not. Com- he did not start the fourth most popular podcast, religious no, podcast in Croatia. I mean, he did not. He did not. Well, let's let's compare him to somebody who's a contemporary of his, which would be Bonhoeffer, right? Right. So Bonhoeffer stood up uh, and had, I think, a fairly. I think you could say Bonhoeffer, in his standing up, accomplishes things, mm-hmm. right? Because he was well known, he was he mm-hmm. was he was he had a, he had a platform, he had books, his books have now. But Franz Jagerstatter, no one knew about him until just recently, and mm-hmm. still most people don't know who he is because he's the guy who chose to make his movie is is while considered probably the greatest one of the greatest filmmakers ever is is an incredible you know he he's up there with you know other filmmakers who are amazing but. They he, they make films for for people mass who, market. Yeah, there's no mass market there. There's no mass market for making. Uh, although I think this film did fairly well because it was one of his more narrative structured films, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Christian Bale, Knight of Cups has two. It's like a three hour movie. He's the main character. He's almost in every scene. He has like two lines of spoken dialogue, and you know, so he he's this guy's not making movies for he's make he's making what he wants to do, right? right. It's just, and and he, I, you know, in some sense, maybe that's maybe form follows function here. Maybe he's just making worshipful films that worship God, and who cares if anyone sees? Right. Yeah. Right. You know. Right. Who cares if anyone goes? Well, that's a fantastic. No, I I I think that's a little bit of a cop out, but but still, that's something to think about. Well, he's not. He's uncompromising. I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, he's not trying to. Well, he has his goals, and I don't know what his goals are, but yeah, but but I don't know. I I think I think that anytime we approach something with the assumption that nominalism is that our best foot forward is to address or work within nominalism, maybe we end up, maybe we end up. I'm not saying we don't preach to nominalism. I'm not saying anything. I'm saying. I'm saying that the goal of the missionary is to follow Jesus to make him known. Uh, radical love radical hospitality mm-hmm. um to follow to follow jesus and it that is astounding enough and worthy enough in its day to day and challenging enough yeah to be a worthy a worthy goal right yeah N- nothing else and then the evaluation of that who are we to evaluate evaluate franz i his life I got no clue, man, but look, his, his, he ain't showing up on any, uh, you know, organizations, fun, fun development letters for how many people he saw come to Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But he followed Christ Yeah, and maybe he showed the real Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously his, he has some, I mean, when, when we say his life didn't have value or didn't, I, I, I'm saying it a little bit of tongue in cheek in the sense of, well, it, it did, but it didn't in the way we want to weigh things the way we want. Cause I think in the similar sense, are we, are we as missionaries, are we happy with what you just said with knowing that, that maybe no, no one gets involved in our group, you know? Right. 
but but yet we have an impact you know in some way that we can't see and i think that's that's probably the story of this guy right yeah the the impact will be judged uh along the impact i don't even know if i like that word uh but yeah okay the impact will be judged um judged by the ultimate judge yeah well it's like as i like to say god is really bad at math because he says he says things like leave the 100 go after the one that's bad math that's bad economics uh he says stuff like i mean the prodigal son is you know give it all up for for the one loser guy that's once again bad economic you know he's he's right. he's not he you know, he, he started he's concerned about you started you start a um a global spiritual movement with 11 idiots that's just so i, I you know when i look at the bible every, everything seems to go that way um yes there's great glory and, and god uses it but god uses those small things mm-hmm. and those insignificant things mm-hmm. and those uh sometimes foolish things Mm -hmm. that's what he used that's how god works you know and he's always worked i mean israel is once again why why pick those guys yeah bunch of slaves you know just you know the 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 math isn't adding up here god right right there were great Um, nations and and the prophets and god makes that point time and time again yeah well mission work in europe is still very valuable yeah amen jesus and making him known uh i am going to now go take my son to baseball practice there are four teams in all of galicia who play baseball my son has found one of them long long that's like four game. that's like 400 percent more than i thought there would be i know right <laughs> that's what <laughs> and I I, said, that's probably right? bad math too i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Well, Garrick, a true pleasure. Glad to be back on the microphone with you. Looking forward to uh, having some guests on in the future and uh, having some good times. We'll talk to you later, man. Adios. Stop recording.